You're listening to the Westchester Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ. Uh, finish this quote from Paul. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is... Thank you. Very few of us remember the rest of the quote. It's very powerful. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God will that we give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I have a funny thing here. I'm not sure if you can read it or not. Jesus is passing out the fish and the loaves. Is it possible to read it back there? So, so he's giving out the fish and the loaves. One guy is saying, I can't eat that. I'm vegan. Another guy is saying, has that fish been tested for mercury? And somebody else says, is that bread gluten free? And as Americans, we tend to be a little bit more on the non-grateful side than the grateful side. So today we want to talk about an attitude of gratitude. Because it is something we need as American Christians. And we're going to talk about the great power of being grateful, because being grateful is very powerful. The danger of losing our gratitude. We're going to talk about an unnamed woman We're going to talk about a Pharisee. Both of them were seeking the blessings of God. Only one got the blessings of God. But let's turn over to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Luke 7 and verse 36. And this is very interesting. This follows the passage that Andrew was sharing when Jesus raised the widow's son in Nain. And so Jesus raised the dead. And then this follows a few Scriptures later. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. First, he's making a fatal mistake here. He's missing the heart. He's missing the point. He's missing for what God is searching for. God is diligently searching for people. And he's missing this completely. In fact, he's judging God at this point. He had heard about how Jesus had raised the dead a few passages earlier because the news of that raising of that widow's son spread all over the place. And so, of course, he'd heard that Jesus had raised the dead. But when he saw Jesus associated with this sinful woman, he thought, this man is not a prophet. That's pretty powerful, isn't it, to make that kind of judgment? That somebody just raised the dead, but because he's allowing a sinful woman to cry at his feet, suddenly he's not that powerful? In fact, he's not a prophet at all if he's allowing this to happen. His pride blinded him. He doesn't even know what God is trying to honor here. 
He thought God is all about the purity of his life rather than the purity of gratitude. But Jesus wanted to help him. Glad Jesus wanted to help him out. He wanted to help her. He wanted to help him. He's helping both of them. So he tells a parable. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is about a little over a year's wages, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which, of course, these things were all customary to do when someone came to your house for dinner to be able to wash their feet or give them a kiss. He said, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head as an anointing or a sign of honor. You did not do this, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith saved her. Her great gratitude saved her. Her love for Jesus saved her. Wow, and that took guts. Let's talk about this for just a minute here. Whose house was this? Super religious people, Pharisees. It was at a Pharisee's house. Now, let's not diss the Pharisees completely. Can we think of any good qualities that the Pharisees had? There are a lot of good qualities they had. Number one, they held to the law. Was this a good thing or a bad thing? This was good. The Pharisees honestly believed that the reason Rome had an occupation of Israel was because Israel wasn't holding to the law very well. They were getting very worldly. They were being Hellenized. In other words, they were becoming very Greek in culture, very worldly in culture. In fact, the Sadducees were that way. They were, they were, they were uh, buddies with all the political people of the day and with Rome. And so the Pharisees were like, we've got to get back to the law. We can't be one foot in the world, one foot in God. We've got to follow the law. Good thing, bad thing. Good thing. We've got to get back to the law. So the Pharisees were, were all about that. And so this took a lot of courage for this woman to come into this guy's house. What kind of life had she lived? It doesn't say what she had done. It just says everybody knew that she'd lived a sinful life. Whatever that means. The woman wasn't a Pharisee. She'd lived a life pretty much the opposite of a Pharisee. She just lived for whatever she wanted to do. But... She, took, she had the guts to do this. She came into the house. She heard that Jesus was there. She wanted to be with Jesus. Something in her made her go into this Pharisee's house. And how did she feel when she walked into the house? What were the people invited to this dinner like? They were all like Simon the Pharisee, right? 
They're all like, whoa, what's she doing here? What are you, what, what are you walking in on? That, isn't that pretty gutsy to do this? Walk into this Pharisee's house? Why would she do this? She wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted the opportunity to thank Jesus for who He was. She must have had incredible conviction that He was the Messiah, the Lamb of God that was going to lay down His life for the sins of the world. And she knew that she was included in that number. And she wanted to come and thank Jesus by weeping at His feet, drying His feet with her, with her hair, and pouring perfume on His feet. What a move in a Pharisee's house. I think she must have really believed that He was going to forgive her sins. Because she seems undaunted. So, question. Grateful? Not grateful. Very grateful. This woman was very grateful. Had her sins been forgiven yet? But she must have really believed they were going to get forgiven for her to do this. So I'd say her level of gratitude is astonishing. She was showing how grateful she was even before Jesus forgave her sins. That's how much faith she had. She was really focused on giving thanks. And she poured perfume. How much was that perfume worth? 500 denarii. What else was 500 denarii in this passage? Remember the two people forgiven? The first one was forgiven how much? 500 denarii. How much was this perfume worth? 500 denarii. Interesting. A whole year's wages on Jesus' feet. So this is what the woman did. So what did Simon do? What, what happened to Simon here? What did he do? Well, let's not completely diss him, okay? What did Simon do for Jesus? He invited him to dinner. Is that not a big deal? Well, he invited him over, but he didn't do what was customary. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't uh, anoint him with oil. He didn't give him a kiss coming in. And so, he was doing the bare minimum here. Well, let's go ahead. Okay, famous prophet. He raised the dead. Everybody's talking about him. All right, let's go ahead and have him over for dinner. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing the good works here. Good guy, not a good guy. Was he a good guy? Did he believe he was a good guy? Yeah, he really did. Were his sins forgiven? How can a good guy not get his sins forgiven? I mean, he had none with the woman did. Did the woman get her sins forgiven? She, she was sinful. And this guy who's lived this perfect, perfect life, nobody's perfect, of course, but, you know, this righteous life, his sins weren't forgiven? What's going on here? What, what is Jesus really looking for here? It turns out that Jesus isn't looking for what we typically look for. What are we looking for out of our life? Holiness? Righteousness? Perfection, maybe? Isn't that, isn't that what we typically do as really strong Christians? Isn't that what we're typically looking for? But what is Jesus looking for here? He's just looking for one thing. Gratitude. And who had it? Simon missed out completely. Were his sins forgiven? 
Who knows? But we know one person whose sins were forgiven. And it was the least likely person in town that this Pharisee thought would be forgiven. It was the woman who had blown it in maybe every aspect of her life. Because she was so grateful to Jesus, her sins were forgiven right on the spot. And he was told a parable and he was told nothing about his own sins. Wow. What is Jesus looking for from us? As it turns out, He's not looking for holiness as much as gratitude. Now listen, I don't want to paint the wrong picture here. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. So we're not getting rid of that Scripture. Be holy as I am holy. But let me tell you something. Without gratitude, that's impossible. How are we going to be holy as He is holy if there's no gratitude? Most of the world believes in wages. I work, I get paid. I do good deeds, I get something in return. I'm evil, something bad happens. That's the worldly way, isn't that right? But Jesus turned everything upside down. To Jesus, it's not that way at all. You can be almost perfect, just this close to perfect, and not go to heaven. How can that happen? How can you be so almost perfect and not make it to heaven? Because perfection doesn't get you there. Because none of us are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. The only thing that can get you there is the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can get you forgiven is Jesus and His blood. And if there's no gratitude in your life, you're all about wages and not Jesus. You're all about proving how good you are like Simon, the, like Simon the Pharisee, and not about gratitude. Here's what's mind-blowing to me. You can live the worst possible life. You can sin in every possible way. You, you can be the worst sinner in town. But if you're grateful to Jesus, and you go to Jesus to get forgiven with that level of gratitude you get to go to heaven. So who would we rather be? The perfect? Or the crying grateful? We've got to figure it out. As it turns out, gratitude is very powerful. Very powerful. I just want to change the subject just slightly. And just talk about an example from the world here about gratitude. An often, look, often overlooked fact is that gratitude is a healing property. So I want to talk about a 10-week research, not done by Christians. This was done by the medical community. And Dr. Robert Emmons, he's a pretty well-known doctor, did a 10-week research project where he, that he carried out on three groups of people. The first, he, he got three groups of people collected together indiscriminately, just collected these three groups of people, and it was a 10-week project. First group of people, he said, write down each week, write down five things you're grateful for. The second group of people, he said, I want you to write down five things that were real hassles this week, really stressful this week. And then the third group of people, he said, I want you to write down just five events this week. And none of them knew about the other groups. They weren't told what the other groups were told. So this last group were just five events 
regardless. They could be negative, positive, anything. Just five events. This is what happened. When, the, when, the, when it was tallied up, those doing the daily gratitude up there, things they, they were grateful for, they were doing the gratitude, exercised higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, determination, optimism, and energy. He went on to say the gratitude group also experienced less depression and stress, felt loved, were more likely to help others, exercised more regularly, and made more progress toward personal goals. This has nothing to do with Christianity. This is just what the medical community is saying. If you want to get well, get grateful. That's what Dr. Emmons would say. He said, you want to get some healing in your life? Get grateful. Start writing down what you're grateful for. Research has linked gratitude to a host of psychological, physical, and social benefits. Stronger immune systems. Lower blood pressure. I should have had more on that lower blood Lower blood pressure! Less inflammation. And those with chronic pain know all about that, right? Less stress and more feelings of joy. That's what the medical community is saying. It goes on to say grateful people live longer, have less illness, they make more money, they give more money, they get into less conflict with other people and are much happier. Who doesn't want that? We all want that. It all comes from gratitude. Gratitude has the power to heal us to energize us and to literally change our lives. And that is what God is searching for in us. God is searching for our level of gratitude. Are you grateful? Now, we as Americans have trouble with this. When you go into a restaurant, they say, would you like to see our wine menu? But I would dare say that for many of us, that's a daily occurrence. Our wine menu is with us each day. My feet hurt. My back aches. My head hurts. Oh, people at work, it's so hard. My car's breaking down. My house needs repair. We're just carrying this wine list with us everywhere we go. Is it helping you? How's it working for you to be focused on all the complaints of the day? But isn't it true as Americans that that's what we do? We've talked about this before. I feel like Groundhog Day. But, you know, you greet people and it's impolite to say anything negative at first. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. But then what's the next thing we do? Complain. Oh, the weather. It's so cold. It's so hot. It's so dry. It's so wet. It's so rainy. There's a drought. We're, we're experts at this. It's like we had a doctorate in complaint. Complaintology. But as Christians, we're not going to be forgiven. If we have a doctorate in complaintology, we need to have the attitude of gratitude and make that our life. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's not an option to give thanks. It's not an option to live a grateful life. It's not like, well, I'm just sort of focused on the negative. That's like saying, well, I'm just focused on adultery all the time. It's just my thing. 
Or I'm just focused on murder. I just, you know, I, I, it's a weakness of mine. I, I just murder people I don't like. But that's the same thing. When you say, well, I'm just a negative person, it's saying the same thing. We don't realize that this negativity is killing us spiritually. That when our mind is focused on all the negative things, all the bad things that are happening, it takes us away from God. It turns us into a Pharisee where we're proud of the things we've done rather than grateful for what Jesus has done. And even the medical community says we'd be crazy if we didn't change. Advertising is constantly telling us what we lack, what we deserve, what we don't have. Our, brain, our brains are constantly telling us that we're not good enough. We have so many negative voices going on. We've got to change it. We've got to learn how to be grateful. We've got to study how to be grateful. We've got to help one another how to be grateful. The truth is, we lack... What do we lack? Nothing. The Bible says that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack nothing of value. The Christian life is a celebration of all God has given us. It's not what the world is doing to us. Christianity is a celebration. It's the power of God living through us. The power over sin. The power over fear. But so many of us have been Christians so long that we've forgotten all the benefits. And we've defaulted back to the world of complaint. The genuine Christian life is you wake up and go, Oh, what a beautiful morning! Oh, what a beautiful day! I've got a wonderful feeling! I can't sing. Can you finish it? I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. Isn't that a great way to wake up? That's the Christian! That's the Christian. That's the woman weeping at Jesus' feet because she's so grateful for her sins forgiven. Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember when you got out of the water? Yes! Look what God did for me! You were so grateful. And the next day you woke up. Look what God did for me! And the next day you woke up. Look what God did for me! And the next day you woke up. Look for what God... Yeah, and then and then first church. Yeah, and then the second church. So yeah, and then yeah, and then... Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Then you woke up and went, oh, what do I got to do today? Now, is this just me or is it you? Don't leave me naked up here. We got to change this. We got to change this. We can't be grateful for just that day. We've got to be grateful our whole lives. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we live in Christ, if we claim to be in Christ, our life is defined not by our circumstances. Our life is defined not by what's negative. Our life is defined by giving thanks. 
That the, the Christian is the person that's giving thanks in all circumstances. My foot hurts. Amen, I have one. My back aches. Amen, I have one. My car needs repair. I'm so grateful I have one. Can you imagine if you turned every complaint into a gratitude moment? How radically that would change your life? If every negative thing were to be turned into something that God's going to teach us, something going on here that we can learn, we've lost our sense of awe and wonder at how God works in our world. We've been reduced to people that say, oh, I saw God work in something today. Rather than someone that says, I see God work everywhere. What was the movie where the guy said, I see people? The Sixth Sense? Well, that illustration isn't going to work. But I tell you what will work if we are people that wake up and see God and see the power and wonder and awe and see Him work in all circumstances. Negative, bad, good, hard, challenging, easy, whatever it is. Can you imagine how that will change your life? To wake up and say, I'm giving thanks in all circumstances today. Even if it's bad. Let me ask you a question. Can somebody that's been healed from cancer ever forget that? He was healed? If you've ever talked to Tony Sage and you ask him about how his cancer and the healing, he cries. He can't help it. He's so grateful he was healed. God healed him from stage four cancer with no chemo, no traditional medicine. God healed him. And he's so grateful. He's so thankful. He's just a bundle of emotion. Can you imagine Tony forgetting he was healed? It's unimaginable. But we do it every day. We do it every day that we were healed from our sin. Yeah, we have to change. So, let me ask you a personal question. Are you more like the sinful woman? Or more like Simon in your level of gratitude? So, let's do a helpful study, okay? I have a slide here. Here are some things that can help us live a life of gratitude. And these are, these, this is just stuff I wrote down. There's lots of different ways to do this. Um, my sister-in-law, Ann Davis, is visiting from San Diego. She had a big yellow pad, and it's filled with notes. And I'm like, Ann, what is, what's going on here? She goes, well, every day I write down things that I'm grateful for. I have a whole list, ten things. Ten things. Every day she writes down ten, ten things that she's grateful for. And she said to me this morning, she said it's really cool because when I first started doing this, I couldn't remember what I was grateful for. The day before, I, I just go, oh, what was I grateful for? And then it was really hard for her to do it. But now that she's been doing it, she, things will happen during the day that she's grateful for. She'll go, I'm writing that down tomorrow morning. And so when the morning comes, it's easy now. She's like writing it down all the stuff she's grateful for because during the day she was so focused on what she was grateful for that the next day she can easily do a list of ten things. 
Wow. So we need to keep a journal. We need to write down things that we're grateful for. Things that made, what made you smile today? Or you can do it at the end of the day. Just journal. What made you smile? What did you enjoy eating? What tasks did you complete? What contacts did you make? The next thing. Thank a new person every day. Find somebody new and thank them for whatever. Thank you for opening the door. Thank you for, for, for putting my groceries in a sack for me. Thank you for checking me out. What's well, my job? I want to thank you anyway. Just thank a new person. Just be that person that thanks everybody for doing everything. Thank God daily for all the good things. Because if we're not thanking God, whatever doesn't come out probably isn't going to last. So let's thank God for everything that we have. Get into the Word. There's nothing like getting into the Bible to realize what we can be grateful for. Isn't that true? If if you're consistently in the Bible, those that are consistently in the Bible, doesn't this work? Doesn't it make you grateful? It does. It's so powerful. So if you're really struggling with gratitude and you're just sort of that negative person that's stuck, get in the Bible. See what God is going to teach you. Also, thanking God daily. Here's something that would help us. Imagine that was taken away. Like I've thought this, and this is probably maybe not a good thought, but I'll just be honest. I thought, what happens if Teresa died? And I just like panicked. I was just like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. What if my kids died? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I think sometimes it's good to think about what if your job were taken away? Would you be thankful for your job then? What if your car was taken away? What if your house was taken away? What if your, what, what if your family were taken away? So that would, be, that would be helpful. Let's thank God for all the things that He has given us that are still here. Because we're supposed to thank God in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Next thing. Think about the last day. and Do what Anne did. Write down a whole list of things that were there for the day before. How grateful. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm getting confused. Thank The journal is what we're doing for the day before the today. Think about the last day. This is what I like to do. and I, It's really helpful. Hopefully it will help you too. What I like to do is I like to think about when Jesus comes back. And if I have time, I'll tell this. Yeah, I have time. I'm going to tell this really good story. So... When I was living in Queens, there was a couple, uh, Rick Studebaker. And he was a disciple, and he and his wife lived in an apartment in the basement of this building. And he told me that one day, he said, Jim, I heard the trumpet of the Lord. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I heard the trumpet of the Lord. I was asleep in bed with my wife, and I heard, it was really early in the morning, 5.30, and I heard the trumpet of the Lord. So he he woke up to a trumpet sound. He said, the Lord is back. Honey, wake up! And they walked outside and looked up for the trumpet of the Lord, and it was the neighbor playing the trumpet in the window up there. But what I like to think about is, I like to think about what am I going to feel like when the Lord comes back. 
When the real trumpet of the Lord is sounded, what's it going to be like? And I just imagine my emotions. And I imagine walking out and seeing this happen. I remember one time Mackenzie said, I just hope Jesus comes back when we're all together. Because I just want to be all together when Jesus comes back. And I thought, yeah, I can picture that. It's just so cool. We're playing outside as a family and all of a sudden the trumpet of the Lord, the sky changes, the stars come out during the day. And all of us are lifted up to heaven together. And it's going to be like, yes! 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 And you're not going to think about, oh, my back and oh, my feet and oh, my job and oh, my car. Forget about it! Yes! All you're going to think about is how grateful you are, how excited you are, and how you're going to be with the Lord forever. We're all going to be crying. We're going to be a mess. Isn't that what we need to be every day? Isn't that what this woman is teaching us? Isn't that when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven for she loved much? Her gratitude was taken as love. Her faith was expressed as love. And that's what Jesus is looking for from each one of us. Can we do this? The last one is smile. Do you realize that it only takes 17 muscles to smile? And it takes 43 muscles to frown. Now, I I thought, when I read that, I thought, that's not right, because to me, a smile is more of a conscious thing where I smile, and a frown is more of a natural thing that just happens. And then I realized how wrong that is for a Christian. It really needs to be the opposite. Christians should be the first ones smiling, and the last ones to frown. Smiling is one of the most powerful combination of drugs available in your life. It's holistic and it's free. It says a smile will trigger a real chemical effect in your body. It will trigger mood-boosting neurotransmitters. A smile will cause endorphins, serotonin, and dopamine to flood your system. That sounds a whole lot better than Advil. (laughs) So what's it going to take for us to be grateful? We've got to have a conviction that this is important. We've got to help one another to get there. Through honest talks and encouragement. Through helping one another through hard times. And yes, it's not always appropriate in a circumstance to say, oh, this is good. It's not always appropriate to say that. But I believe all of us need to have this attitude and conviction that we do need to thank God in all circumstances. That that is God's will for us. That God is working His plan. God is healing us. When we're grateful, we get healed when we, when we show all that gratitude, it not only heals us spiritually, it even heals us physically. And then, of course, the ultimate goal is the cross. That if the cross doesn't make you grateful, nothing can. 
that knowing that Jesus died for us, shed His blood for us, that even if you were the only person He could have saved, He still would have died on a cross? That that needs to cause a lot of gratitude in us. We have no reason to be grumpy. We have every reason to be grateful. Jesus has died for us. He has shed His blood for us. We can have the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to be adopted as one of His own children, to be a co-heir with Jesus on the throne, to be able to live in eternity with Jesus, to be able to be with the angels in constant worship with God, to have every tear wiped away, no pain, no mourning, no tears, to be able to live in eternity. Let's picture that. Let's be grateful people. Let's glorify God. Amen.